ready for another big day? Anybody sore from yesterday? It's unbelievable. I, uh, <clears throat> we have the blessing of um, doing a lot of camp ministry during the summer. And we came, we, last week we were, we were at a camp in northern Wisconsin, Forest Springs. And we were ministering there for the week. Then we drove over here and we're here for two weeks. And at Forest Springs, they have um, this forest run Right, the little kids run a quarter mile, and then you can run a mile, two mile, three miles. So my kids are like, Dad, let's do the run. I'm like, what are you talking about? Do the run. Like, I run if chased. Do you understand? Like, that's my running policy. It's like, no, let's run the mile through the forest. So that was, what was that, Thursday? And I'm still like hobbled. Like, Dad, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I ran. I don't run. Okay, but uh, it's going to be great. It's for the children. Amen? Let's pray and give this time to the Lord. Uh, God, thank you that you brought us to camp uh, this week. We know that you brought us here because you have important things that you want to do in our hearts and in our faith and in our walk with you and in our children and in our families. So we we lift up especially this time, uh, this morning, this time we're going to spend in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yesterday I did a quick introduction of my family for you. Uh, Me and Amy will be married 27 years next month. Uh, we've got seven children, 23 down to seven. Our oldest is married, Lissy. Our second is getting married in five weeks, I think, September 4th. Um, so we're, we're super blessed. And then down on the other end, we've got Rush, our seven-year-old. Uh, this morning and, and tonight, uh, the messages I want to share with you are on helping the next generation keep the faith. Helping the next generation keep the faith. Uh, how many of you would agree with me that the world has gone crazy? Put your hand up for me. All right. The world is going nuts. In fact, Wednesday, we're going to look at the book of Daniel, and we're going to talk about how to stand firm uh, in this hostile culture uh, that we're in. But this is a time, as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, for us to really double down on this mission that God has given us. You know, we've just come through uh, an incredibly uh, difficult year plus. Uh, Things are still really chaotic uh, with COVID and with politics and education uh, and global issues and all of that stuff. We don't know what the future holds. You know, just a couple of months ago, my 11-year-old boy, Ray, he was praying at the dinner table and he said, dear God, thank you that I get to play my one basketball game tomorrow. Now, I mean, I had mixed feelings, right? As a dad, I appreciate his thankful heart that he gets his one game, you know, but as a parent, and, and again, I know basketball is not the most important thing in the world, but for an 11-year-old boy, it's important. It's a big part of uh, uh, his life. Our kids have gone through, uh, you know, it's interesting. We had a, a graduate, uh, a high school graduate in spring 2020, okay? So that was like COVID spring. And you thought, man, those poor graduates. Well, little did we know that it was really the next year's graduates, right? The kids who had their whole senior year during COVID who were really going to uh, really going to face a lot. And our, our kids, they've faced grief, they've faced loss, but they've also just, this whole situation has just been incredibly confusing uh, for them, uh, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally. I was preaching in Minneapolis a few times last year, and as, as they were going through all the COVID stuff up there, <laughs> somebody showed me the, um, the laminated uh, COVID rules for high school wrestling laminated COVID rules for high school wrestling. They allowed high school wrestling, 
uh, in Minnesota. Uh, no masks, okay, because I guess masks can choke you, right? If you're wrestling someone, you pull a mask the wrong way, it can choke a person. But on the laminated rules card, uh, one of the rules was no handshake before the match. It's not a joke. I mean, it, it was laminated. That means it's serious. I mean, it had like the state logo and all of this stuff on there. I'm not making a comment about COVID. I'm just saying that's confusing. For a, for a high school kid, that's just confusing because we can do this for 10 minutes, but no, that's dangerous. No handshaking before the match. Now, listen, I, I know God's at work through all of this, uh, but I also know the, the enemy's at work as well. And he is seeking to divide churches, divide families, divide nations, and he's always working to rob faith from the next generation. So parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles, this is a critical season in our ministry to our kids, this mission that God has given us to do all in our power to impress their hearts with the love for God, to equip them, to make a difference in the world for Christ. And more than anything else, why does God give us kids? Because he wants us to do everything we possibly can to help them get safely home to their father in heaven. And the challenge that I want to give you this morning is to serve your kids spiritual food. Serve your kids and grandkids spiritual food. Many times a child or a teenager or an adult for that matter is not spiritually strong because they're not getting spiritual food. If you're not getting proper physical food, your body's not going to be strong. Our spirits are the same way. If you're not getting proper spiritual food, your spirit's not going to be strong. And if you lock yourself in a room with the Bible, you find out that God has three spiritual meals that he wants all of his children to have. There's three spiritual meals that if you don't get one or more of these meals, you're going to be spiritually malnourished. So three essential spiritual meals. One of them is personal prayer and scripture. You need time with God all by yourself. You need time to talk with him in prayer. You need time to, to eat the book, okay, spiritually, have a meal of God's word. The second spiritual meal every Christian needs is family worship in the home, okay? We all had an opportunity to do that this morning with our brown sack of family worship. They call it, what is the BSBB? Brown sack of family worship, that's what I call it. And... Um, but this comes from God's word. This is Deuteronomy 6, Psalm 78. I'm going to spend time talking with you about this this morning. Every Christian needs family worship in the home. So you need personal prayer and Bible. You need family prayer and Bible. What's the third meal that every Christian needs? Church, Church yeah. We need the, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need the weekly gathering of the people of God in the corporate worship service. So imagine if you had a friend, let's say a close friend, who said to you, hey, listen, I go to church, I love my church, and my pastor gives me a good meal of the Bible one hour a week on Sundays. In fact, that meal fills me up so much, I don't need any Jesus stuff, prayer, or Bible the next six days. One meal a week's good for me. If it was a close friend, okay, you'd be, hey, come on, what are you, what are you doing? Right? You're, you're going to starve yourself. You can't live your Christian life like that. Same thing on the other end. Let's say a person says, oh, I have a very personal relationship with God, personal, private relationship with God. I talk with him. I pray with him. I read my Bible. But this is personal. This is private. Not something to do with my family. Certainly not something to do you know, with institutional religion. Okay, this is personal for me. Again, if it was a close friend, you'd be like, hey, come on. What, what, what are you doing? I'm, I'm glad you have this personal relationship with God, but, but you need your brothers and sisters in Christ at church. You need your family. God's got three meals for you. 
So these are three spiritual meals. Every Christian needs these to be healthy. Your kids need these three meals to be healthy. Now, when it comes to our kids and grandkids, there's also spiritual vitamins available for them. Sunday school, youth group, vacation Bible school, Gull Lake family camp, mission trips. Now, are these, these are all spiritual vitamins that are available for your children. Now, are vitamins good or bad? Vitamins are good, right? But what if a child only eats vitamins? They never have meals. They just have vitamins, nourished or malnourished. Malnourished. Child comes down for breakfast, okay? What's for breakfast, mom? A couple vitamins on the plate. Kid eats the vitamins. What's for breakfast? No, that is your breakfast. Kid goes off to school, opens his little brown bag. Oh, I'm so hungry. Reaches down there. Oh, what in the world? Two little vitamins. Well, they're chewable this time. That makes feel me feel a little better, okay? And then I go home, mom, what's for dinner? I'm starving. More vitamins uh, on the plate. Again, are the vitamins good or bad? They're good. But if a child only has vitamins and no meals, malnourished. Folks, we've got two generations in our country that they grew up on nothing but spiritual vitamins. And we cram the vitamins down their throats and the vitamins are good. Sunday school's good, youth group's good, Gull Lake family camp. I'm praying for that all of my kids have a powerful vitamin boost this week here at, uh, here at Gull Lake. But if a child has nothing but the spiritual vitamins and never has their spiritual meals, they are going to be malnourished. So what I want to talk with you about this morning is how to help your kids get their meals so that the vitamins can do their work. First one, let's talk about this first meal, personal prayer and scripture. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. On this scripture, in the ancient world, if you have a lamp, it's a candle, and it's in a little case, and you're out at night, is that lamp giving you light way down the path or just your next few steps? just your next few steps. So we need God's word today for today's next few steps. And we talk about Christianity as having this personal relationship with Jesus. Well, how much of a personal relationship are you or your kids going to have if they never spend any personal time with him? So we need this time alone with God as parents and grandparents talking to him, hearing him speak to us through his word. And as parents, what we've got to do is try to help our kids have this personal alone time with God. So what can we do? Uh, I, I don't think that you can force a child to pray. I suppose you probably could like force them to do a repeat after me thing, but I'm not sure then it's a very authentic prayer. You also can't force them to read the Bible with a believing heart. You could force them to read something, but not with a believing heart. So what are some things we can do? One thing we can do is we can just give them some space and some time to do it. So part of the way it works in our house is uh, after breakfast, we have these things called morning routines. Kids have their list of things that they're supposed to theoretically do each morning without being told, quote, unquote. And part, part of what's on there is your, you know, your personal time uh, with God. Find a time, find a place that you can be alone. Spend time talking to God in prayer. Spend time reading his word. The other thing we can do is set an example for our kids. Do your kids ever see you praying you know jesus says go into your room and close the door do your kids ever barge in on you while you're praying do they ever catch you 
reading your Bible. You know, one of the things that I know that my children are going to have this experience of with their mom, um, we are, uh, one, one blessing in our family is God has wired all of us to be night people and not morning people. Some families have a mixture of night and morning people creates all these problems. Well, we're all night people. So, you know, we all in the mornings, just not a good situation. So the kids, you know, the kids, they wake up, whatever, the crack of 11, they wake up in the summer and come down stumble down but but I know that one of the experiences my kids have had over and over again uh, I'll take a little rush my seven-year-old as an example he comes kind of stumbling down you know sees mom sitting in her chair talking to God reading her bible mom says come over come over and he comes over and then curls up goes back to sleep okay but joins mom right and, and and has this spiritual touch point with his mom as she's spending time with Jesus you know one of the th- areas where I'm asking the Lord to, to change my heart and do some rewiring in my heart is, is with the first few moments of the day. So I use my phone as my alarm clock. And I, you know, I set it for whatever, 7, 705, 710, 715, 720, right? So it just beats me into submission while I'm like, um, but uh, because it's my phone, finally I grab my phone and, and my habit, which I want God to change, is to grab my phone, okay, check my email, check the news, check the sports, you know, scroll, 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 uh, to just kind of wake up with, with that. And so what I've been asking God to do is, God, would you rewire my heart? Would you rewire my, my desires so that as soon as I come to, that I would just swing my knees off the bed and put my knees on the ground and just take uh, just a minute, talk to you first. Just humble myself before you. Thank you for waking me up again. Ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit uh, to minister and serve my family uh, that day. Let's talk about this second meal of family worship in the home. Uh, Many of you know uh, my testimony. Actually, I should ask this question. How many of you have ever been at Gull Lake with Amy and me before? Put your hand up for me. Okay, and so if you're not raising your hand, we're meeting you for the first time. Is that right? Hi. Hi. Great to meet so many of you. Yeah, I recognize uh, some folks that we've been together uh, before, but so glad to see so many new faces. But so let me just share a little bit about my story as it relates to family worship. You know, the first, first of all, the first 10 years of our family life, there's not a single thing that I'm, I'm sharing with you today uh, that I ever, that I understood at all in the first 10 years of our married life. I was a youth pastor for those first 10 years. And as a youth pastor, my passion and priority was passing my faith to other people's children. So I would pray with other people's children, read the Bible with other people's children, retreats and mission trips with other people's children, lock-ins with other people's junior high kids. Horrible idea. Okay, the name itself should tell you this is bad. Lock-in, there's nothing, it's not good. But okay, we're doing all this stuff because Amy and I had a passion and a heart for young people, and we still do. Um, But the problem was I'm praying with other people's children, and I'm not praying with mine. I'm reading the Bible with other people's children. I'm not reading the Bible with mine. I was leading at church, and I was passive at home. And it was at that 10-year mark of our our marriage where God brought me to a place of, of real repentance and turning my heart to the ministry of my kids and the ministry of my wife. And so since 2004, then we've been on, we've been on this journey. Now, let me show you the scripture 
uh, that God used more than any other to change my life and, and get our family on a new course. It's a big one. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 uh, through 7. Jesus says this is the most important commandment in the Bible. We call it the great commandment. So this is a big one. If you've been around church, you've probably heard it before. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your heart. Now, this was a familiar passage to me. Uh, again, if you've been around church, it's a common one. We talk about it a lot. Uh, but I had just read this part and I always stopped there. I knew that God wanted me to love him and I knew he wanted me to have his word in my heart. But the very next two verses, God now speaks to parents and he speaks to grandparents. He speaks to family. He speaks to the home. Let me show that to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Parents, grandparents, teach them diligently to your children. In other words, hey, if, if you have kids and grandkids, if you want to love me, mission number one is help the kids and grandkids love me. If you want my word in your heart, mission number one is help the kids and grandkids have my word in their hearts. That your ministry for God, let's use New Testament terminology, God says go and make disciples. If God's entrusted the souls of little ones to you, your great commission disciple-making calling begins with the souls that have been entrusted to your care. And what I had done for so many years is I had put my spiritual opportunities, that'd be like you all, you're a spiritual opportunity that God's blessed me with this week, in front of my spiritual responsibilities. That'd be the souls of the kids that God's uh, entrusted to Amy and me. Now, how many of you are here and it's, it's the desire of your heart to love God? You fall short every day, but you really want to love him. All right. How many of you are here, it's the desire of your heart, the kids and grandkids would love God? Okay. Because so far with this scripture, we're like, sign me up, right? God, we want to love you. Thank you for your grace and mercy. God, we want our kids and grandkids to love you. Actually, we want them to love you more than we love you. Amen. We want generational progress. But, but God, what could we do? What, when we know there's no magic formulas or guarantees that if parents will do A, B, and C, all their kids will follow Jesus forever. We know there's no guarantees like that. But there's something very specific and very practical and very concrete that God wants his people to do. And it's in the next verse. Let me show it to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Teach them diligently to your children and talk about them. Now again, the them is the things of God, the word of God. Talk about the word of God when you sit in your house. And this is what I had completely missed. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yes, God, I want to love you. Where do I start? Talk about me at home with your family. Open my book at home with your family. Down through the centuries, this has been called family worship. Today, maybe call it family devotions or other people, other cultures, family altar. Let me give you some principles here. See, a lot of us, um, well, I'll do a quick survey. How many of you grew up in a home with regular family prayer and regular family Bible? Put your hand up for me real high. Look around at those oddballs. Okay. Actually, it's a pretty good group. I'm going to 20% of you, I think, raised your hand. Very impressive. National statistics are like 15%. So you're, you're doing very, very well. But most of us didn't grow up like this, okay? Most of us feel some insecurity uh, and, and some inadequacy. So let me give you some principles here. Number one, not too late to start or restart family worship. Not too late to start or restart family worship. One of the principles or, or patterns that we see, and we've seen it in our own family, is that some Christian families, when their kids are little, preschool, elementary, they, they do okay with, with family prayer, maybe at bedtime, 
uh, family Bible reading, maybe that child's uh, story Bible at bedtime, but then junior high hits and high school hits, uh, and, and schedules get a little bit crazier, family gets a little bit more chaotic, maybe relationships get a little bit strained, and, and family worship uh, goes off uh, the, the radar screen. So if that's you, it's not too late to restart. In fact, if you've got kids in junior high and high school, they need family worship. They need the rooting, the grounding of family worship uh, more than ever before. A uh, quick story. Uh, I was sharing these scriptures at a church years ago, and a deacon from the church came up afterwards and said, um, he thanked me for sharing these scriptures that had changed my life. And he says, we've never done family worship. My daughters are 15 and 14, and um, I'm going to try it tonight. And now it doesn't always go this way, but he tried it and it went great. Sometimes they try it, it doesn't go great, but that's, that's okay. This is an encouraging message. He tried it and it went great. They, uh, they, they read and they prayed and they talked and, you know, it was maybe like 45 minutes. doesn't have to be like that. You know, sometimes, sometimes family worship in my house looks like this. Kids, your dad's exhausted. Let's pray. God, help these children fall asleep fast. Amen. And that's all there is because that's all I've got. All right. But no, uh, so they had a good time. And, and one of the daughters said to this dad, and she said it sweetly. It might, it might come across uh, harshly, but she said it sweetly. She said, Dad, why'd you wait so long to do this? You know, and it was, it was an encouragement to him that it wasn't too late, right, to start. And that even at, with these teenage girls, they could, they could start. So if that's you, if maybe you have never started, or maybe you started but fallen off, um, just repent go to Lord. Just say, Lord, I confess that I've not been leading our family in family worship. I see Deuteronomy chapter 6. I know you want me to start again. Please help me take some baby steps forward. Number two, uh, consider creating a family worship room in your home. Consider creating a family worship room in your home. We have a family worship room. In the middle of the family worship room is the prayer table, which we bought at Ikea. Ikea has a whole section of prayer tables. Uh, <laughs> You have to ask the uh, manager for the religious section, and they'll take you to it. But it is, it's rectangular and knee-high. What do normal humans call it? Coffee table, right? We don't call it the coffee table. call it the prayer table, because sometimes when we pray, we get around that table. We've also got two uh, puffy things people sit on. What are those called? Couches, good. couple of tables with lamps on them. End tables. Ooh, side tables. Yes, okay. Can you picture the room for me? What is, oh, what is it called? Living room. Yeah, some people in the family room. Uh, I was in Georgia. A woman said, oh, that's the parlor. Like, what are you talking about? Who has a parlor? It's just, that's creepy. But okay. But we, we, name, we name the rooms of our house. You have, each room has a name because you do stuff in the room. You have a bedroom because you go to bed there. You have a dining room because you dine there. You have a playroom because you play there. So we have a family worship room. That's the most important thing that happens in that room. And let me tell you a story. We, we moved, uh, this would have been six, seven years ago now. And during the move process, we were out looking for, with a real estate agent, looking for homes to buy or homes to, to rent. And I had this uh, twi happen twice, the exact same thing, so it really burned into to my mind. Uh, my daughter, Lainey, who's here at camp, she's 17. She would have been 10, 11 years old. She was the eager beaver, right? She really wanted to get into the house. So the real estate agent is up at the front door. She's unlocking the door, and Lainey is behind the agent. She's ready to jump in, and I'm then third in line, ready to go into the house. So I'm Lainey, you're me. Sorry for the rear view. But uh, Lainey jumps into the entryway of the house and goes like this. Dad, this could be the family worship room. And now we're getting somewhere. Now here's my question for you. 
Why is the 10, 11-year-old girl excited to find the family worship room? She knows that we are a needy group of people. She knows that this is a spiritual meal for all of us in our family that we need. Without it, we are very weak and very hungry. You see, this is a, cr- a key principle with family worship. The, the driver for family worship is not first and foremost discipline. This is important, we need to do it. Discipline's very important, but it's not the primary driver. The primary driver is neediness. It's neediness. It, it, it's uh, the neediness of the father, the neediness of the mother, grandma, grandpa, that, that we need this meal with the Lord. Now, another challenge for you here is to stick with the curriculum. Stick with the curriculum. One of the common questions that we get about family worship is, Rob, do you have a curriculum? Do you have a guide, a book, a guide, a curriculum, a book? Because we feel insecure about this. We're not used to doing it. So if we had something to help us, uh, that would be great. And we do have a whole bunch of stuff that will help you. Amy's actually going to come up and tell you about that in just a a minute. But uh, let me give you the curriculum. Here we go. Take your Bible, open it, read it as if it were the very words of God and that you believed it with all your heart. That's the curriculum. Do you want your kids to have faith? Faith comes by, what does the Bible say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, I've done this a few times. Unfortunately, I'm gonna give you a quick story. You can only do this when a kid's like three, four, five years old and you can only do it once, maybe twice. And, you know, so I've done this now with a few of our kids, and I can't do it again until I have grandbabies. So, but I'm ready. Uh, so with, with Rush, he's three, four years old. We're getting ready to start our family worship time. And I say, okay, in about one minute, something absolutely incredible is going to happen. Three-year-old, what's going to happen, Dad? God is going to speak to us. What? God's going to speak to us? Yep, 45 seconds. Whoa, 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 hold on. You mean like God's going to speak to us? Yeah, 35 seconds. Wow. What do you, how, do you, how do you know? What do you, what do you mean he's going to speak to us? 25 seconds. It's about to happen. How's that going to happen? What do you mean, Dad? We're going to read his book. The other kids are like, oh, his dad's doing the God's going to speak to us thing. We're going to read his book. Yeah, you know I mean? But the little guy, he's, he's loving it. Because when we read his book, these are God's words living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to penetrate soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and judge the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's God's living word for you and me today. All right, let's talk about this uh, third meal, worship at church, worship at church. If we want our kids to be spiritually strong, they need the church. They need this meal, the worship gathering of the people of God. This is not an adult education hour. It's a gathering of the whole faith community, all ages, in the presence of God through his worship and through his word. Now, you'll meet some Christians today who will say, uh, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. Or I love Jesus, but I don't do that institutional religion thing. And I I get that. That person's probably been hurt quite a bit. I I understand that. The problem is, is that our families are filled with a bunch of sinners. Amen? Amen. And our churches are filled with a bunch of sinners. Amen? So if you hang out with sinners, what do you get? Sin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get sin. They sin. We sin, right? And it's a, it's a mess. And God wraps his gospel and his grace and his mercy around our families and around our, our churches. 
But you see, here's the deal. Let's say that uh, uh, you come up to me at some point during camp and you say, man, Rob, you are fantastic. I just love your Bible teaching. You are great, but I can't stand your wife. Now, none of you would ever say such a thing. Okay, you wouldn't even think such a thing with my wonderful wife. But let's say that you did, okay? Um, would I bless you with the opportunity of having a relationship with me? No way, Jose. You can't tell me you like me, but you don't like her. We're a package deal, right? We're one. Same thing. Imagine you go to God and you say, I love your son, but I don't like the bride. Right? Doesn't work that way. You can't say, because we can't hate what God loves and at the same time be in fellowship with him. Look at this scripture, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, that would be the return of Christ, as you see the return of Christ drawing near. Let's not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. In other words, this letter, Hebrews, is written to Christians. So the author is saying there's a great temptation for Christians to disconnect from their local church. That they neglect the gathering, and then their neglect of the gathering becomes their habit. And COVID really pressed this issue for us. So last March, COVID hits. All of our churches shut down, right? For sure, two, three, four weeks. You remember? totally shut down. Now, the dirty little secret was church in your pajamas and coffee for two weeks wasn't too bad. Raise your hand if you want to just confess that to the Lord right now. Okay, God receives your confession, and Jesus paid for that, that sin. Okay, um, but, but pretty soon, pretty soon, as online church dragged on, we started to get hungry, didn't we? Because the meal of, of the screen was just this little morsel of what it was meant to be. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for online. I'm thankful for all that stuff. Um, but we should have at least been getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier to be back together again. You know, one of the signs that someone's really sick, if you've ever spent maybe the final weeks with someone in their life, one of the signs they're really sick is they don't want to eat anymore. You say, hey, you want to eat? You want to drink? No, I'm just, I'm just not hungry. And then you say, whoa, they are in real trouble now. And the same thing is true spiritually. That when we're not hungry to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a big red flag. It's a big warning sign that we're in a spiritually dangerous place. And again, I, I hope I'm being clear. I'm not saying that, that online church is, is wrong I'm not saying it's a sin to miss church. I'm just saying that online church is not a spiritually healthy, long-term, biblical way to worship. And that we ought to be hungry to be together. And we're actually seeing part of the way the devil and the demons are working right now is to divide our churches over these issues and to empower the persecution of governments around the world, forbidding the command of God, which is for his people to gather and for his people to worship. Now, this, this meal with your kids, this spiritual meal, it's not just about helping your children receive the weekly meal of God's word and worship with God's people. Your children also have a very important ministry to the church by way of their participation and by way of their presence. Do you remember the history with Jesus and the little children in Mark chapter 13? You've seen the, the, um, a little watercolor picture, 
right? Jesus is posing. He posed a long time. The watercolor guy is there, and you've seen the little picture with him. And uh, the disciples don't want the, right? The, the parents are bringing the children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples are keeping them away. And so Jesus is then indignant with the disciples, and he rebukes the disciples. He says, let the, let the little children come to me. So this word, indignant, is an interesting word. The next time we find it is after Jesus' triumphal entry. So Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, Hosanna to the son of David. Next day, he goes back into Jerusalem to start his How to Win Friends and Influence People tour. And uh, you remember the first thing he does next day? Goes into the temple, and what does he do? Yeah, turns over all the tables of the money changers, right? Now, you'd think that the Pharisees would be indignant at that point, but they're actually not mentioned in the text. The next thing that happens is the blind and the lame come in to the temple courts. Now, the blind and the lame were not permitted by Old Testament law to be in this area. You couldn't have defects to, to be in this particular portion of the temple. Now, 21st century thinking, we said, oh, that's so horrible and so judgmental. Uh, it was a gospel message. It was a gospel illustration. Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Only he with clean hands and a pure heart. Who can go to heaven? Only the perfect person. Only the sinless person can be allowed. Where does that leave you? Where does that leave me? Out. <laughs> we need a savior sent from heaven to save us. Okay, so uh, the, the text says that Jesus healed uh, all that came to him. Again, no mention of the Pharisees. The next thing that happens is the children come into the place that they're not supposed to be, and they start singing praise to Jesus in the temple courts. And the text then says, at this, the Pharisees were indignant. Now, you notice the juxtaposition. Jesus is indignant that the kids are being kept out, kept away from him. The Pharisees are indignant that the kids are coming in. You see that? Now, the Pharisees then say to Jesus, do you hear what these little ones are saying? Jesus says, yeah, I hear them. Have you not read that out of the mouths of infants and babes, God has ordained praise? God's called forth praise. I was sharing that juxtaposition on a mission trip over in Malaysia, and one of the pastors there said to me, Pastor Rob, have you ever gone back to the Old Testament to find out, you know, Jesus is quoting himself, he's quoting the Old Testament. Have you ever found, gone back to the Old Testament to find out why God calls forth praise from children? I said, I have not. He said, you should. I said, I will. Because I think our instinct is, well, why does God call forth praise from children? Well, uh, they have innocent hearts, which actually they don't, the Bible says, but um, sermon for another day. The, um, uh, well, the, maybe they come with a childlike faith. Certainly we know God likes that, right? He wants all of us, regardless of age, coming to him with childlike faith. But that's actually not why God calls forth praise from children. Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. God calls forth praise from infants and children to silence the enemy and the avenger. Let me say that again. God calls forth praise from infants and children to silence the enemy and the avenger. Now, I can't explain this to you, but unless I'm misreading that, something happens in the spiritual realm when children sing to God, when children sing praise to Jesus, it shuts the mouth of the devil and the demons. Raise your hand if you'd like to shut the mouth of the devil and the demons. All right, if you want to shut the mouths, then get the kids singing. Get the kids in there because they have a ministry. They're engaged in the ministry of the church particularly in the spiritual realm. All right, I'm going to uh, pray for us right now. And then Amy's going to come up and she's going to share uh, some of the, the um, things that can help you put these principles that I've shared with you this morning uh, into practice. But let's, let's pray.
Heavenly Father, uh, I just thank you for this week at camp. Uh, Our world is in shambles. Thank you for our memory verse this week that we can be rooted in you and in your word. Everywhere we turn, our world is talking about sickness and death and fear and, and conflict. And we, we know the cause, it's our sin. We know the solution, it's our savior. And we know the end, that he's coming back. And God, we want more than anything else, we want our children to know you and love you and serve you and follow you forever. Would you please, especially during this week, turn our hearts in a new and powerful way to the ministry of our kids? Would you help every one of our messed up families take a baby step forward in family worship? Thank you for all the vitamins that our kids have an opportunity to, to have, but, but remind us, uh, help us every day to have a clear vision and a plan to help our children get their meals so that they would be spiritually strong for you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.